You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So if you're one of the 59 million Americans who earns some sort of living as an independent contractor, a gig worker, or a freelancer, an owner-operator of your own big rig, a writer, a musician, or anything in between, you're going to want to listen to this episode and you're going to want to take action. The reason for that is the Department of Labor last week issued proposed rules about independent contractors and essentially what they want to do is kill your livelihood and so joining me today is kim cavan she is a co-founder and one of the leaders at fight for freelancers an ad hoc group that's been around for a couple years now and she is going to do a breakdown with us on what it is that's happening currently, as well as some of the history, because this is not an issue that a lot of people understand until it smacks them in the face. And so we wanted to do somewhat of a basic, you know, here's what's going on, here's how to take action, and you need to do it fairly soon because the DOL's 45-day comment period will be ending within the next month, month and a half. So in any case, without further ado, here's Kim Cavan. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Kim Cavan, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. Hi, Peter. Nice to see you. So we have a lot of stuff to cover. Um, there's some big doings that happened at the Department of Labor last week and is forthcoming on the whole issue of independent contractors versus, quote, misclassified employees. Can you do a quick breakdown for the listeners who may just be catching up on this? Sure. Um What's happening right now at the U.S. Labor Department is a continuation of attempts that have been going on for a few years now to try to limit the choice of being your own boss. If you want to hang out a shingle and say, I now work for myself, which has been legal since the day the United States was founded, there there is a group of individuals who are trying to make it harder for you to do that and illegal for you to do that. Now, why would they do that? They're doing that because under federal law since the 1940s, it has been illegal to unionize an independent contractor. So the, the forces that are behind these anti-independent contractor efforts, they are folks who are trying to grow unions. And it is their opinion that if you can somehow reclassify all of us as employees of our clients. Let's say I'm a, well, I am a freelance writer. Let's say I had 30 clients last year, and what they want to do is say, yeah, you're no longer your own boss. You now have 30 part-time bosses. You're a part-time employee of all those 30 people. Under the law, they could then attempt to unionize me. That's their vision. That's not how it's working out. That's not what these laws actually do, but that's what they keep saying is, is best for us. And so in that scenario, what would happen is you may have two of your clients that would be unionized that may 
potentially not be able to use your services unless you're built into their contract, right? Well, well, what we saw happen when this started in 2019 in California, uh, there was a law called Assembly Bill 5, and that was the exact sales pitch. We're going to reclassify all these people, grow the unions, everybody will be better off. What actually happened uh, in the past three years was companies just stopped using independent contractors because the way these laws and regulations get written, if you are a company that hires an independent contractor in viol- like so in my case, let's say you're a magazine who hires me to write a freelance article, they can come in and say, well, that's a misclassified employee and now you, Mr. Magazine owner, have to pay a whole bunch of fines. And so what what happened was instead of all these independent contractors becoming an employee, which most independent contractors didn't want in the first place, what actually happened was the companies that they had long worked with in hundreds of professions, everybody from interpreters and transcriptionists to online teachers, graphic artists, all kinds of people, their clients just all of a sudden said, yeah, sorry, you're toxic to me now. I can't work with you anymore. So people who had built up businesses over years and sometimes decades had them crushed. That's what actually happened. And um, there's no evidence after three years that the this type of policy creates jobs. There's no evidence after three years that the single new union has been formed. That's not what this does. This is about crushing independent contractors and getting as many of us out of the workforce as possible so they can unionize as many people as possible. Um, they, they attempted, they got it through in California in 2019. They immediately attempted copycat bills in New Jersey and New York, but we were able to, at that point, we understood what was happening and we rose up and stopped them. Then they have been trying in Congress to do this to the whole country with legislation called the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, which thankfully a couple of moderate Democrat senators have blocked. They have come out and specifically said, we don't want to see happen what happened in California. This is a bad outcome. So that's been held up. So that that brings us to now, which is the legislative paths to try to do this have now been blocked in all but one state where they got it through already. It's been blocked in Congress. So now they're attempting what's known as regulatory workarounds, where they use agencies of the executive branch instead of the legislative branch. And they try to shove through things like rules that that you can make at a place like the Department of Labor that will alter the definition of an independent contractor for certain purposes, getting it into the federal mix so that they can then spread it from there instead of spreading it from Congress. So, Kim, let me... Let me just have you go through the numbers real quick, because this is um, and I you, and, you know, I had Gabriella Hoffman on. Um, she we recorded on Friday, posted yesterday, but she's the one that alerted me to the fact that it was 59 million Americans that are impacted by this. So but it's not just w- one classification. It's a whole bunch of different occupations, as you said. But do some numbers for me in terms of like. You know, everybody thinks it's the Uber and Lyft drivers, the rideshare drivers that they're after, but this really affects, like yourself, freelance writers, a whole bunch of others. Right? Yeah, the um, the press coverage is almost a hundred percent about Uber and Lyft drivers. If all I ever read was what was in the media, I would think that these laws were specific to Uber and Lyft drivers. The reality is 
app-based workers, whether they're doing Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, any of the those types of companies, all the studies show the federal government itself says it's maybe 5% of independent contractors in this country. The vast majority, 95% of independent contractors in this country do other kinds of work. They're people like attorneys, they're people like accountants, bookkeepers, consultants of just about anything. There's people who work as independent contractors who go into animal shelters and they're, they're animal rescue experts and they teach them how to improve their adoption programs for homeless dogs. There's people who are forestry consultants who go around helping different departments that are trying to deal with things like wildfires. There's you know, real estate appraisers whose expertise is going around and either working with real estate firms or banks or or whoever to to do property appraisals. There's there's so many types, you know, owner independent owner operator truckers are independent contractors, people who buy their own trucks and own their own trucks and choose their own routes and drive where they want to drive. Um, I think it's it's uh, the numbers, the last numbers I saw was something like 70 plus percent at just the port of New York and New Jersey of the trucks there are independent contractors. So this is our supply chain now that we're talking about. Traveling nurses who show up when there's something like a COVID outbreak at a hospital, they tend to be independent contractors. It's um, online teachers, it's freelance writers, editors, book editors, indexers who make the indexes for books. There's so many professions. Uh, I think they identified more than 400 out in California. The legislature there had to go back. Inside of a year, they passed an emergency measure that exempted ultimately more than 100 professions. There's still others fighting to this day to try to get out of this noose that people have put around them. I'm I'm personally aware of people who just moved out of California so they could keep their businesses. Um, it's it's startling to me that all of the media coverage tends to be about Uber and Lyft because that is not the primary people who are affected by this. They are very, very much the minority. And if you look at data, you want stats and data, going back to 2015, the federal government's own research, repeated research from multiple areas of the federal government shows 70 to 85 percent of independent contractors are fine. We like what we're doing. We're choosing this. We're happy. We're cool. So th- this whole idea that this is being done to protect us or make our lives better, that is not how it appears from our perspective. We feel that we are under attack and we want it to stop. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing, it's a little nuanced, and I've touched on this a couple times you know, in California, and you just mentioned this, they went back and wrote exemptions in for particular industries or occupations. If you do a federal bill like the PRO Act, that's unlikely to happen. So it's this one size fits all law that goes federal. And you're really looking at, you know, that killing the the gig economy, if you will. Well, there are no exemptions in the PRO Act. This language, this anti-independent contractor language is right at the top of page one, and there are no exemptions. There are no exemptions in what the U.S. Labor Department's trying to do right now. This is about everybody who earns money on a 1099 or pays people on a 1099. If you own a catering company and you bring in whatever, bartenders or experts at, I don't know, a pig on a spit, whatever your thing is as a as a event caterer, right. <laughs> um, this affects you. This is about all bartenders, whatever it is. This is about everybody. 
Yeah. And I saw a headline recently, I think it was from the Independent Women's Forum, that um, it's, you know, it's going to have more uh, deleterious effect on women because there's more women who enjoy freelance work. Especially since the Great Recession. What all the studies show is, especially women who have kids at home, uh, they're tired and they're busy and they're trying to deal with 15 things at once. And it's just a lot easier to be your own boss and not have to show up somewhere at 9 a.m. on the dot in order to earn some money. You know, you can work when you want to work. You can not work when you want to be at a kid's soccer game or you have to pick them up from after school language class or whatever it is. There's also been some studies that have come out since I was last on your show about health and women who choose independent contracting and how it's so much it's so much better for people who choose it, especially women. Um, there was a study that came out of Boston that I thought was really, really interesting. Um, they It was the Boston Medical Center uh, for Women's Health. They found mm. among self-employed women, 34% decrease in the odds of reporting obesity, 43% decrease in the odds of reporting hypertension, 30% decrease in the odds of reporting diabetes. It, it just went on and on. And, and when you think about it, it makes sense, right? If you can get out from under the thumb of a boss who's driving you crazy, your blood pressure goes down. You, feel, you maybe right. you don't eat so much junk food. You're not sitting with the hog and dust at night, like stress eating your way. You're not working the day. in a toxic workplace because you're in your own home. Exactly. Or and you're, whatever. you're wherever you're at the Starbucks, right. whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's not the first study to show women prefer self-employment, but it's the latest one, and it's specific to health, which is, uh, that was original and new and I thought important. And it's self-determination, too. So, um, yeah. So, and, and I know I'm going backwards a little bit. I should have done this at the outset. So you founded some years ago the Fight for Freelancers USA, which is... I, I'm one of the people who found, okay. co-founded it, yeah. Right. And so a lot of the um, a lot of the folks that are part of that is there are the occupations that you described. You've got writers and you've got editors and you've got a whole bunch of others that are on there. And I, I'm covering that because sometimes you get accused of being, I don't know, some right wing shill or something or. Ah, yeah. No, actually, we um, there's not I don't believe a Republican member in our leadership at all. Um our group is primarily women, over 80% women, and quite a lot of them identify as Democrats, liberals, and progressives. We also have conservatives in the group. Um, we have independents in the group. We we are, a non, we are a true nonpartisan group where everyone just wants to keep their chosen career at the end. It, it's, it's, the, it's the rare issue where people can all settle down and just agree yeah, this is stupid. Stop attacking our choice of being self-employed. Right. So let's um, let's go back to the DOL and what they did last week because, um, and I'll be honest with you, I have not read all 184 pages. But <laughs> well, I it, have, so we can talk I about. I thought that. you might have. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So is it um, is it as I saw basically the ABC test in disguise? So I've seen people say that. Um, Let's let's talk about who's making the rule and then what the rule actually says so people can understand what's happening. Okay. When President Biden took office, 
he ran on a campaign promise. It's on his campaign website that he was going to make that same language, that ABC test language from California, the basis of all labor, employment, and tax law nationwide. That was a campaign pledge that he made. The PRO Act affects labor law. That was going to be step one. Um, when he couldn't get it done through Congress, what he started to do, he from really from day one of his administration, he's been packing these agencies that he oversees with union people for exactly this moment. So the, at the U.S. Labor Department, the labor secretary is Marty Walsh, who obviously most people know was a union organizer in Massachusetts and um, is a fan of the ABC test. His number two, they brought in Julie Sue, big supporter of AB5 in California, used to run their version of the Labor Department out there called the EDD. They brought in people into leadership at the U.S. Labor Department, like Nikki McKinney, who was running point as the primary aide to Senator Patty Murray, who was the primary sponsor of the PRO Act in Congress. So the people making this rule are the same people who've been pushing this in other ways for several years now. They're all just now concentrated in this one agency, the, the U.S. Labor Department. And they sat down and said, all right, we're going to make a new rule to define who gets to be an independent contractor. So you have to understand that they're coming into it from an incredibly biased perspective. It is their goal to get to the ABC test. They say so in that 184-page monstrosity of a rule proposal that they dumped on everybody that I do not recommend reading unless, I don't know, you're high on something. It was really awful. It's <laughs> right. like hours of my life I'll never get back. But um, what, what they say in there is the first thing they considered was to, be, was to do the ABC test, just like California, but they couldn't figure out how to do it in a way that would hold up in court. They ultimately said that they need either Congress to do something or the U.S. Supreme Court to do something that will allow them to just impose that on everybody. So what they ended up doing was getting as close as they think they can get to the ABC test in a way that they believe is going to stand up to the lawsuits that are going to hit them, I'm guessing, on day one after this thing actually goes into effect. They're trying to come up with a way to get what they want into the new rule without actually doing the ABC test, which they don't think will stand up. Does that make sense? Yes. The um, the buzzsaw, to quote somebody else, on the ABC test was part B, which is the, um, the contractor has to do work. Well, if the employer or the company hiring that contractor is in the same line of work, um, that contractor would be considered an employee, right? That's right, the and B they, part. And they get into that in this, and, and we can go through. So what, what they did, um, so people understand, I know this is going to sound strange, but hard as it is to believe, there was not actually a rule in the U.S. Labor Department about who's an independent contractor until the Trump administration, uh, which I know sounds bizarre. They had relied on things like court rulings for years until the Obama administration. And he uh, had Labor Secretary Tom Perez. They brought in a guy under him named David Weil, who I'm guessing you've maybe we've spoken about on your show. I'm sure others have, too. Right. David Weil is the grandfather of a, of a 
a theory called the fissured workplace, F-I-S-S-U-R-E-D, fissured as in broken, the fissured workplace. And his whole philosophy is the world was a better place when we had giant corporations that were all unionized and everybody was under control under these big giant roofs. The idea of a fissured workplace is that people like me exist, where you can hang out a shingle and be a freelance writer with a laptop computer in your home office. He considers that to be a problem. He, he considers people who are not part of the mothership to be a problem. And it is acolytes of David Weil who are doing all these things to us now. But David Weil came in during the Obama administration and said, look, here's what we're going to do with the Labor Department. We're going to put out this big, long, not quite as long as this horrible 184-page rule that dropped last week, but he put out this big, long thing. They call it a note. It's it's like a um, it's an interpretation thing where he he lets the world know here's how we're going to start to interpret who's an independent contractor going forward, and that was that was the first shot across the bow to people like us where they were talking about we need to stop misclassification, but the business community started screaming, wait a second, wait a second, this is you're tightening the news way way too much. If you're if you're capturing people who are legitimate independent contractors, that's not okay. So it's kind of scared people. Which is why when the Trump administration came in, you had, he appointed a labor secretary named Eugene Scalia, who is the son of Supreme Court Justice Scalia, uh, obviously a conservative. And he said, we're not, we're rescinding that, that note. We're going to make an actual rule so that this stops. You can't, we're not going to let regulatory overreach where you just decide who's an independent contractor in keeping with your personal philosophy that nobody should be self-employed. We're not going to let that happen. So under the Trump administration, they made a rule that allowed legitimate independent contractors to pass the test. They made a test that we could actually pass. And Eugene Scalia actually wrote at the time um, that he didn't want AB5 to happen. He cited California specifically and said what they're, what we're trying to do is have a rule that doesn't radically change who's classified as an independent contractor. We're trying to make sure that stops. And so a rule, I'm sorry, go ahead. The, quick question. This was all around the same time, 2019 going into 2020, right? Right. This is when all the, the craziness was happening in California. Right. And and Eugene Scalia in the U.S. Labor Department said, eh, we're not going to let that. We see what's happening in the states. We're not going to let that happen here. Now, a rule is a lot harder to undo than a interpretation note. So what the Obama administration had done had some effect. What the Trump administration did had a more substantial effect which is why the Biden administration, when they came in, almost immediately moved to to get rid of the Trump administration rule that they had just put in place to protect independent contractors. The Biden administration, they had a false start. They tried to get rid of the rule. They did it in a way that broke the law. So the status quo became, nope, the judges said you have to put the Trump rule back in. And then the U.S. Labor Department, all those people we just talked about who'd been flooding in from places like California and and the PRO Act, they all came in and said, "Okay, well, we're just going to rescind the rule altogether and make our own rule. We're going to we're going to make our own rule. And that's what happened last week is they dropped their newly proposed. This is what we're changing it to. 
You with me so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what they did was dropped a six-factor test. The ABC test is a three-part test. It's ABC. Um, there's three parts to it. And if you fail any one part of it, including that crazy B prong that says you can't be in the same line of business as the client, um, you're automatically an employee. It, it's a one and done. A, ABC, you can't pass all three. You're, you're out. You're an employee. Right. right. What USDLL did is come in and they made this six-part test where they're, they're claiming it's not a one and done. They're saying even if you can't pass all six prongs, you still might be able to be an independent contractor. So they're trying to make it look like they're being a lot more moderate about this. But again, you have to understand who these people are and you have to actually read what they're writing because they also in this 184 page document give examples of how they plan to interpret these six, these six factors. So now we're right back to David Weil and interpretation, right? We're, we're right back to how can we get as many people to be employees as we can. We're going to do it through interpretation. So let's just start with the first one. Um, the first part of this six-part test is they're saying they're going to look at the person's opportunity for profit or loss depending on managerial skill. They don't define managerial skill, which is going to be super fun. They also say in that first part that they're going to consider whether the worker accepts or declines jobs, projects, things like that. If you have the ability to accept or decline jobs, projects, that you would think would lean toward being an independent contractor. But when they talk about how they're going to interpret it, they say things like, well, the decision to work more hours or take more jobs does not reflect the exercise of managerial skill. So right there out of the gate, <laughs> in point number one, they are contradicting themselves and saying, yeah, we know the words we're writing on the page, but we're going to interpret them to mean the exact opposite of what any normal person would think they mean. So now we're off and running with <laughs> number one, right? Right. Which hmm. brings us to number two. Number two out of six. They're going to consider investments made by the person and the company. What they're saying here is they specifically seem to be going after the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, where they say, if you are using a personal vehicle or a vehicle that you have leased specifically to perform work, you still will generally not be considered an independent contractor. So you can be a person who goes out and buys a whole car in order to run a business where you're driving people. That doesn't count. As or, a, as or tractor trailer, I would think. It would be the, the port truckers. Well, I, I'm thinking about it, too, as the perspective of a writer. I just had to buy a new laptop. Mm. Um, that's not as expensive as a car. or you know. Right. The, the other thing they say, which I just laughed out loud, it's funny, I, something must be wrong that I'm laughing while reading this garbage, but um, they're also saying they are, they are stressing that the investments the person makes have to be considered on a relative basis with the company's investments in its overall business. So now they're going to look at 
did I spend as much money buying my $2,500 laptop to write an article as a company like the New York Times spends in running its business? And they're going to compare and see if I stack up as somebody who should be an independent contractor. As a percentage basis? Good question, Peter. They do not artic- they do not articulate how they're going to do that. Huh. But it, I think you're laughing because you get cynical reading all this stuff. It's idiotic. This right. is just stupid. Then you get to number three of six, where they talk about how they are going to consider the degree of permanence of the working relationship. And what they say in how they're going to interpret this is that if a person is providing services under a contract that is routinely or automatically renewed, that indicates permanent relationship and employee status. Now, let's talk about being a freelance writer. Might you have a regular column that you write once a month for a magazine that they like you and you like them and it takes you a day and not even a day and you write that column every month, is that going to be considered a permanent and automatically renewed contract? Because if it is, there won't be a freelance writer left in this country. How do you create a business without repeat clients? How do you create a successful business without repeat clients? Well, and then I guess the other question is how often are there written contracts in certain lines of work? So I guess this is one of the things they're going to look at. However, they also say the way they're going to interpret this part three is they're saying the ability to work for other companies in addition to one company, if you're also doing work for other companies, that does not necessarily make you an independent contractor either. So you can have... There's your 30 part-time bosses. Exactly. You can have, let's say, a half a dozen... Again, I, I, I can speak from my own experience. A half a dozen magazines where you do freelance editing for a day or two a month that it works out to be, nobody would in their right mind would consider it a part-time job. You do it on your own time, whenever you want, wherever you want, what you know, whatever you're doing. But the fact that you're doing it for them because they're a good client and you want to keep doing it once a month, and the fact that you're working for their competitors even at the same time, totally irrelevant to being deemed an independent contractor. Interesting. It's just lunacy. Now let's get into number four. They are going to look at the nature and degree of the business's control over the worker. What they're doing that's different from even how courts have looked at this in the past is they're saying, Even if you as a company do not exercise control that you kind of keep in reserve and you never use, we can still count that. And they're saying that if you exercise certain types of control for purposes of complying with legal obligations, safety standards, or contractual or customer service standards, that still also may indicate control. And employee status. So let's say you're a trucking company that hires an independent trucker, an owner-operator trucker, and they're driving some kind of hazardous materials. There's legal and safety issues with that, and you're going to put something in a contract that says, whatever, the truck has to be outfitted to a certain standard so the nuclear waste doesn't leak all over the road. They're going to say that alone is indicative of being an employee. 
I'm just, I think about I'm processing publishing. all the different types of, of yeah. industries that would apply I think to. about I think about publishing contracts. I routinely sign contracts. Every writer does that says I'm not going to libel anybody because libel's bad. <laughs> you right, don't want to be right. libeling people. So publishers put it in their contract. You're not going to do anything that that libels anybody. They're they're attempting to implement just a basic legal standard that that we all know has to be met in order to be in the business but the usdol is saying well if we if we talk about that now you might have to be an employee so if i if i think about the healthcare, um and we mentioned like agency nurses or travel nurses you know who are typically freelance so to speak um you've got all kinds of rules around healthcare, right dealing with patients and all that stuff so Retirement homes, people doing elder right. care, right. all that kind of stuff. All that right. kind of stuff. So that's number four of six. Haven't seen one yet that they can't interpret to make literally everyone an employee, right? Right. And we're we're already at number five of six. This is the one that reeks of B prong of the ABC test. Number five is they're going to look at the extent to which the work is an integral part of the company's business. They're going to look at whether what you're doing is critical, necessary, or central to the company's principal business. And if it is, you're probably an employee. Now you tell me, Peter, what business is going to hire an independent contractor to do something it doesn't need? Right. Well, and so a simplistic example would be, and I think they got caught up in this, the hair salons out in California, right? That they lease out chairs, um, you know, Sally's hair salon, so to speak. And the independent contractor would be the, you know, Beverly who comes in to do braids. Something like that would absolutely fit in there. And again, right. this hits people who are freelance writers. How can a freelance writer exist if she can never sell an article to a newspaper or a magazine? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one, right? How can you even exist? It's not possible. It, it, this is psychotic. This is, this is, again, people who want to see us no longer exist making and interpreting rules in a way that make them impossible to overcome. Or trucking companies that have, say, 50 employee drivers and they get extra loads in, they need to use, you know, independent operators to do a couple extras. You know, a couple runs here and there, which happens it, throughout the transportation industry. It's literally anything. What if you are a concert venue and you bring in a musician to play a gig on a Friday night? Is the musician not right. integral to the operations of the music venue? You right. know, I, it, this is just dumb. This, this is a horrible. This is why B prong in California was such a problem. This is the same. So, so B so B prong in the DOLs. Uh, proposed rules. B prong is actually number five. Very, very similar. They're okay. they're not identical, but it's it's the same effort. It's the same way to. They're 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 they've slightly adjusted how they're throwing the punch, but it's the same punch. Is that right. is that fair? Yeah. And so now we're at number six of six. They're going to look at whether the worker uses specialized skills in performing the work. And whether those skills contribute to a business-like initiative. 
So when you when you look at how they're going to do this, they give an example. They give two examples. They um, they talk about a welder. Let's say it's a highly skilled welder, and they're doing welding work for a construction firm. But they're only doing work for that one firm, which makes all the decisions about what the jobs are going to be. Um, they don't have anything to do with ordering materials. They're not thinking. Now we're now we're making rules based on what people are thinking. They're not thinking about bidding on future jobs. They're not using their skills to obtain other jobs. Um, even though you are highly skilled, you're not using those skills that in a way that evidences business-like initiative. Therefore, you're probably an employee. On the other hand, if you're that same highly skilled welder, you're working for multiple companies, you're also doing marketing, um, you are using your skills in a manner that evidences business-like initiative, you can be an independent contractor. Now that actually sounds kind of reasonable, right? That sounds borderline reasonable. Until, Until you go ahead. Yeah. No, well, please. I'm I'm sitting here thinking of, you know, there are guys who are really good guys, gals, who are really good welders. They get called to a job that may be lasting six to eight months. They're not going to be going out and marketing themselves because they're tied up on an industrial project that requires their skills, you know, welding up beams or whatever they're doing. That would that would take an independent contractor and throw them into employee status technically even though they're still running their own business. And when they're done with this project, they're going to go find something else anyway, because word of mouth, they're not marketing because they're, they're all word of mouth because they're really good. Right. Exactly. Same thing with software developers, it consultants, cybersecurity consultants, all mm -hmm. of it, all of it. So even when it sounds reasonable, again, you have to remember who's making and interpreting this rule. It's not going to be reasonable. It's going to be, everybody's an employee because that's the goal. So you can see as we went through all six of them, how the way a lot of this stuff is interpreted can make it very hard for anybody to be an independent contractor, even if you are a legitimate independent contractor. There's not a single one where they've explained how they're gonna interpret it, where you can't see how they're going to come after us. So it's not the ABC test, but it is the ABC test. It is. It the same effort to limit the choice of self-employment. Well, it sounds like it's just, um, so I had a colleague. You, you don't want to call it boxing. You want to call it Taekwondo. You want to call it judo. I don't really care, but it's still swinging a punch at my head is what these people are doing. I had a colleague who used the expression many years ago. Um, you know, you can cover a turd with, with frosting and call it a cupcake, but it's still a turd. <laughs> so it sounds like that's what they're doing. It's, it's really disconcerting and troublesome. And again, I think based on everything I've seen, they're going to get sued on day one. Some judge is going to say this can't go into effect It'll until it gets worked out in the courts. It'll probably go up to the Supreme Court. Um, I think one of the top labor and employment attorneys in the country, uh, Michael Latito, who I think you've had on your show. A couple of times, yeah. Yeah, he said this week this has the Supreme Court written all over it. You know, and and the Supreme Court that's in place right now should be favorable to protecting people's choice to be their own boss. So we're going to see how it all works out. But but until then, the thing that we're doing and that we're encouraging everyone to do 
Uh, we are currently in the public comment period for this proposed rule. And again, I do not recommend reading all 184 pages unless you have insomnia and you're trying to get to sleep at night. Um, but they say what we just talked about. So we are urging everyone to submit a public comment saying we are against this rule. And you can do that by going to the following website. Everybody grab a pen or grab your phone. Get ready. I'll, I'll put a link in. He'll put a link in. Yeah. It's called federalregister.gov. That's where you want to go. And just in the search bar at the top, type in independent contractor. And this will come up and you can click through to where you can public comment. And you're going to need to get it done to be on the safe side, get it done before Thanksgiving. The the comment period ends right around Thanksgiving. Uh, but you're going to get busy at the holidays. You're going to be eating turkey. You're going to be passed out on the couch watching football like I am. And you're going to forget. So get it done before Thanksgiving. Right. Um, yeah. And then if, well, so here's a question. And this, I don't know that you can even answer this. You get a million people putting comments in. Do you think it's going to change their mind? No, not for a second. I think it creates a public record of the outrage, which I can't tell you how important that is. And, you know, it's funny. The first comments that came in as a deluge were, were from court reporters saying, stop what you're doing to us. Because uh, oh, they, underst well, they understand the purpose of a public record. Uh, when, when the USDOL held its public hearings over the summer about this proposed rule, I was at both of them. Uh, they were Zoom hearings, but but I attended and spoke and testified at both. And they were overwhelmingly dominated by independent contractors saying, stop what you're doing. This is wrong. Stop what you're doing. I could count on one hand the number of people who were there saying, please continue. And they were all union organizers. They weren't even actual independent contractors for the most part. So those hearings, magically, mysteriously, public hearings were not recorded by the US Labor Department. So the only record that exists of them is our members happened to videotape from their laptop computers because the USDOL doesn't want anyone to know how huge the opposite, the opposition hasn't changed. It was enormous in California. It was enormous in New Jersey. It has been enormous to the PRO Act. It is enormous to this. They're going out of their way to try to have processes that minimize everybody's ability to see that opposition. Because again, study after study shows 70 to 85% of independent contractors are fine. We don't want to be employees. We're happy. We don't want this. So filing a public comment, getting the public record to overwhelmingly show that the country is against this, it can't hurt. It can't hurt, especially when it comes time for people to be filing lawsuits. Right. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing um, is you're dealing with, on the one hand, a union constituency that at most um, it's like 14 million members, right? That's both public and private sector. And the government going out of its way to essentially kill 60 million potential jobs or occupations out there, people's livelihoods, and even if you go lower number, 70% of 60 would be four, 42 million people's livelihoods who are happy with their livelihoods to cater to that 14 million. And it's not it, even yeah. catering to them, it's catering to the union bosses. That's exactly right. You, you have to understand the goal of the union bosses is to get more members by any means necessary. Right. 
So the ends, the ends justify the means. We have been declared acceptable collateral damage in their efforts to try and grow unions by any means possible. That's what this is. What do they care if 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, however many million independent contractors go down the tubes, lose their livelihoods, lose their homes, can't buy health insurance, can't buy food, go bankrupt? What do they care if they can get 5 million more union members to add to their 14 million total? That's a banner day for them, right? Right. right. Banner day. They just grew by a third in size. So we are roadkill in this plan as they have laid it out. They have they have shown us who they are again and again and again from California to New Jersey to New York to Congress and now in the US Labor Department. I'm wondering if that's a title. Freelancers or roadkill to unions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Marty Walsh, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, had the audacity to tweet that this proposed six-part rule would protect freelancers. That's my favorite tweet. I might print it out and have it framed. Um, That, to me, just takes the cake of just how cynical and awful the people doing this to us are, that they would even the temerity to say something like that in in a public forum like Twitter is just to me unbelievably astounding. Well, their their worldview is completely different. And Walsh, for those that don't know, um, Walsh was the head of the Boston building trades, if I recall, uh, before becoming Boston mayor. And so like most of these folks have never run a business. They've never run a small business, you know, and they don't know, they only know the one side of it, and that is, you know, I was a worker, I was exploited, I joined a union and worked my way up, or whatever their their life experience is. Or I think in Walsh's case, his dad was a union worker or something. So, you know, they they don't get both sides. They don't want to understand both sides because they have a, a myopic worldview, if you will. And I, Not I understand that. that, but it's, you know, it's wrong, especially it's- when you're in a... It's provable. Um, there's There are laws, there are public records of who they took meetings with at USDOL when they were preparing to draft this rule. Not a single independent contractor group was invited. It's right. all the National Employment Law Project, which is a union-funded think tank. It's They had some industry groups in there, but they're not speaking to actual independent contractors. It's it, it, again, they have decided we shouldn't exist and we don't exist. That's it. Right. So any bright things on the horizon? <laughs> well, I think they're going to get their pants sued off and I look forward to that. Um, yeah. For we'll the listeners what- <laughs> um, who may not have heard you on prior episodes, um, you did, you and the other freelancers did a, amicus brief on the NLRB's, um, uh, I think his Atlanta opera case, right? Right. Right. And and you folks like for writing a legal paper, I'm I'm doing air fingers quote. Um, it was like a fascinating, fantastic read. (laughs) And so, so if you, if you're going to do one and again, I I definitely want to read that. (laughs) This, if this becomes that. It'll what we're going to do with our public comment will be an updated version, obviously, of what we've done in the past. But, yeah, that's how ridiculous this is, is that we have had to learn how to write amicus briefs, not only for the National Labor Relations Board, but also to file to the United States Supreme Court. 
just to say, leave us alone, we're fine. Right. It's insane the amount of time and effort. I could have written three books by now um, and sold them in the amount of time it has taken to try to defend my existing business. Yeah, and so to kind of clarify and kind of come back to a point a little while ago, you're doing this all on your own as well as the other freelancers doing this all on their own. Yeah, we are. Where where we came from was um, we were a writer's group here in New Jersey who just got together at a diner once in a while to eat eggs and talk about, you know, we're having trouble on a story we're working on or we got something cool we're working on, whatever. We're just friends having breakfast, talking once a month. And when we saw what was happening in California, uh, some friends in California were also members of a professional organization that some of us belong to called the American Society of Journalists and Authors. And the friends in California said, hey, there's this thing going on. Hola, hello, pay attention. Something's happening in California that's really bad. We all kind of sat in the diner in New Jersey going, wow, those crazy Californians, you know, sucks to be them. I I wouldn't want to live out there. But then... Uh, one night across my Facebook page, I saw a friend's post that said, holy S-H-I-T, California's AB5 is coming to New Jersey. They had introduced a copycat bill here. I vividly remember I, I had seen it on my phone. I leapt up off my couch. I ran and got my laptop and we all said, what, what are we going to do? We can't allow this to happen to us. And we created our, my friend Jen Singer, who's one of the co-founders of Fight for Freelancers, she just said, we should make a Facebook group to talk about this because I'm getting really annoyed by all the direct messages. <laughs> and so she made a Facebook group. And another friend of ours who wrote for the New York Times at that point and some other places, she got the idea. She knew an editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer. She said, well, maybe we should write an op-ed. I could write an op-ed and see if they'll publish it. And we all started going, okay, how do you write an op-ed? We'd never written an op-ed. And so she wrote this op-ed that said, hey, stop what you're doing. You're hurting. You're going to hurt me. And the reaction to it was venomous. I'm talking about um, AFL-CIO guys on her phone bullying her. We, the, the AFL-CIO lawyer sent a letter to every member of the New Jersey state legislature telling them not to listen to people like her and us. I mean, their reaction was so overwhelmingly, the response was so overwhelming. We, we all sat here and thought, I guess we hit the nerve on the first try. Let's do more of that. Yeah, and if so you don't we, get flack, you're not over the target. Right. And so there was just this disproportional response to a single op-ed. And so we just all started writing them and using our contacts to writing them, myself included. We got published in all the big state newspapers. I had done some work at the Washington Post. I got an op-ed published in the Washington Post. Um, it scared the pants off the lawmakers in New Jersey who said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? All these women are in the newspaper every day screaming at us to stop what they're doing. And that's how the bill was killed. And as those op-eds started to appear, we started to put at the bottom, we're members of Fight for Freelancers. We just made it up. <laughs> we didn't right. know what else to call ourselves. Jen's kid had just graduated from um, graphic design school. He made our logo. You know, this is, we were just people. I knew how to use WordPress. I built our website like in a night, like using templates. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a thing. Um, Debbie knew how to use MailChimp. So she built a mailing list so we could send out press releases. Like that's how we did this in our spare time, just because we saw our friends in California losing their businesses and we didn't want it to happen to us. 
and it worked. And as people started to see our press releases and our op-eds, they all started to join our Facebook group. And now we all of a sudden have physical therapists and musicians and teachers and all these truckers, all these people who were not in you know, our little group of writer friends. Quickly, it grew to thousands of people. And we started to tweet because we realized that's where the journalists and the lawmakers are. Um, you know, if they want to fight on turf that is based in words, we are very well equipped to learn the different ways to do that, whether it's on Twitter, Supreme Court amicus briefs, public comments for things like this. We're real good at the words. Um, and we strongly encourage everybody to express themselves about this because it's only by bringing this into daylight and shaming these people that they are going to stop what they're doing. They're getting away with it because nobody understands what the heck they're doing. Right. Was something, um, so New Jersey was doing something recently. We started talking about it uh, before we went on air, but is um, the exemption thing with the newspapers or something like that? Yeah, so what's happening in New Jersey right now is the same thing that happened in California, only backwards. Um, what happened in California was they passed the law, the anti-independent contractor law, the AB5. They put some exemptions for different professions into it, and then they had to go back and add more. So the law got passed, and then everybody fought to get extra exemptions. That was the order in which things happened. The law got passed. It had a handful of exemptions. People fought to get more. That's what happened. In New Jersey, they couldn't get the law passed because we got so rowdy in the press that they couldn't get it through. Um, so what's happening now is you have industries trying to get industry-specific exemption bills passed into law right now. There was a bill specific only to realtors saying they're independent contractors. Uh, just before Christmas, there was a bill, it was specific to golf caddies saying from here until eternity, all golf caddies are independent contractors because the golf courses didn't want to have to have to worry about this. We just had one that was supposed to be heard this week in the New Jersey Assembly Labor Committee um, saying from here until eternity, anybody who delivers a newspaper is hereby an independent contractor. They're doing this because they can read polls as well as anybody else, and they know Republicans are likely to take at least the U.S. House of Representatives in November, possibly also the U.S. Senate, which means the fight in Congress is going to stop. It'll be impossible for this kind of thing to get through in Congress. The fight's going to come back to the states where they were trying a couple years ago, and New Jersey's going to be first on the list. So you have these industries trying to get their exemptions in place before they can get a law like this passed in New Jersey is what's happening right now. Well, the problem with the DOLs thing is that even if you pass the golf caddies exemption and the um, newspaper people exemption, the federal is going to override the state anyway, right? right? Right. So what you now have, like what the talks that were going on here in New Jersey over the weekend, again, I had to spend half my weekend on the damn phone talking. I should have been out walking my dog, <laughs> looking at the pretty leaves. Um, they were talking about trying to get an amendment in that said the state cannot ever put in anything more restrictive than exists at the federal level to define an independent contractor. And my first thing was, well, what about what's happening at the U.S. Labor Department right, right. now? And the answer was, well, we still can fight that. 
<laughs> Whereas this we have to deal with right this minute. It's like putting out these little fires they keep trying to set. Not to mention, it's just a horrible way to make law, right? If you are a golf caddy or a newspaper delivery person who's being paid below minimum wage to work 40 or 50 hours a week, you're being told what to do and how to do it and where to do it. You, you, you probably are misclassified and should be an employee. The right. laws that just say we're going to make overly restrictive rules about we're going to have these tests that nobody can pass. And if you're lucky, you might get an exemption. This is a horrible way to make law. It's unfair to legitimate independent contractors who should all be exempt. And it's unfair to people who are actually misclassified employees who now can't take advantage of the the protections that do exist in law for them. This is just a horrible way to do everything that only benefits union bosses. And I have to say, Peter, it only benefits them in their mind because as California has shown us, it doesn't even build unions. (laughs) The the only thing we've seen is I saw a story about 66 truckers joined the Teamsters. Woohoo, you got 66 truckers. Three years of destroying thousands of people's lives and careers so you can get 66 truckers to join the Teamsters. This is madness. This is just madness. On that note, we've been on for about an hour. <laughs> and I, you are like the go-to person about this. And, and when I was on with Gabriella, I don't know if you heard, we talked about you a little bit. Like why I- you're not on Fox News and some of the other like major media outlets talking about this. I'll tell you why we're not on because to this day, that, that USDOL independent contractor rule has been out for almost a week now. Not a single major news organization has actually had independent contractors as part of their coverage. They don't understand what we're talking about. It was exactly what you were, you were saying earlier. Right. That it, it, people just don't understand what this is and what's happening. And it's complicated. We just went through this for an hour, and it took us a good half an hour to get through all six points of that rule. How do you do that in a two-minute news segment? The news producers just don't even want to discuss it. It doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. And it's, well, and then, you know, John Q. Public, Jane Q. Public, same thing. It's, um, they're busy working, you know, making paying their bills and they don't have time to get into this stuff. And I would bet, you know, 90% of freelancers don't really know what's going on. Not to mention it sounds crazy, right? If you say to the average person on the street, the government's trying to make it impossible to be your own boss. They look at you like you're, you know, saying aliens have taken over the United States Congress. It seems like you're crazy. Like I think they have. (laughs) (laughs) You sound crazy talking about this because it is crazy. It, this is nuts what they're trying to do. It's it's completely at odds with how America has worked since the day America was founded in 1776. So when you say it to people, they think she can't be that can't be right. She they're making it up or they're confused or something. You know, it sounds like lunacy, but well, it's happening. Yeah, and like AB5 out in California, they passed that, if I recall, it was like towards the tail end of 2019, and it was immediately affected or going into effect in January of 2020. So it was like right, you know, it was very quick, and it devastated thousands of lives, you know, very quickly. And Yes, they passed it in uh, September of 2019, and it went into effect in January. And we were tested, it passed in September of 2019, 
immediately in September 2019 is when the copycat bills were introduced in New Jersey and New York. So we had from September 2019, when everybody said, wait a minute, what's this thing happening in California? The hearing where we had to show up to fight it was December 2019 in New Jersey. You had to get up to speed on all of this stuff that fast. And I'll tell you, I didn't know who my Senate president was, my Senate assembly speaker. I didn't know any of that stuff. I couldn't have told you what the ABC test was, the IRS test. You don't know this stuff. And now all of a sudden, you're sitting next to the legislative director from the AFL-CIO trying to testify about why the government should stop doing what it's doing. You're totally overmatched. You're not prepared to have the debate. They, it's a sneak attack. They're doing it on purpose. They did it in New Jersey during a lame duck session, which means it moves really, really fast before people have a chance to understand what's going on. That's why getting in the press is so important. That's why making noise is so important. Picking up the phone and calling lawmakers is so important. Once they know you're on to them, the calculus of what's happening changes. Well, and I, I mentioned the timeline in California and, and you hitting New Jersey uh, timeline as well, because if people think in, well, this is just something down the road and, you know, six months from now, maybe five years from now, it's happening now. It is and, happening now. And depending on what happens in the election next month, you know, I think the last thing I saw yesterday, I was looking at the news stories, the polls are showing, I think they're saying Republicans have a 70% chance of taking Congress, but that tells you Democrats have a 30% chance of keeping it. If the Democrats keep it, and again, I'm not trying to say this to be partisan. I'm, this is just a fact. This is what's going to happen. They're going to try to do this in Congress again. They're going to come back with that California ABC. Test. Yeah, there's yeah. no way that doesn't get through. So, Well, it's passed the House twice, so it's just a matter of whether what the numbers look like in the Senate. Right. We have three moderate Democrats blocking it in the Senate. Mark Warner of Virginia, Mark Kelly of Arizona, and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. And I see Mark Kelly on TV out here in New Jersey, even he's apparently in a pretty big fight. I don't know the percentages of the polls in that race, but he's in a pretty big fight. Um, So we're all going to have to just wait and see what happens, whether the fight will remain primarily at the federal level, whether it'll be back in the states, what will happen with the USDOL rule going through the courts. And then there's other stuff out in the wind that we didn't even talk about today, like the regulatory agencies, like the Federal Trade Commission saying they're going to jump in on this issue and the National Labor Relations Board saying they're going to jump in on this issue. There's all these other things kind of swirling in the background waiting to become the next fire. But today, the fire is the U.S. Labor Department proposed rule. We're in the public comment hearing now. People should go to federalregister.gov and register their opposition to this proposed rule. On that note, Kim Cavan, thank you for coming on Labor Relations Radio. It's nice to see you, Peter. Thank you very much. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Kim Cavan with the Fight for Freelancers USA. And as always, I'm going to leave links under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio, including the link to the Federal Register, where if you, your friends, your family, colleagues want to leave comment on the Department of Labor's proposed rules to destroy the independent contractor model or self-employment, if you will, uh, you can do so. And... Kim is one of the go-to people um, that I always go to. In fact, she's more knowledgeable than most attorneys that I know on this issue. So it's always a pleasure to have her on, and I'm going to keep having her on. Uh, Hopefully that 
that uh, as time goes on, more people be, will be awakened to this issue. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. And if you'd like to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Again, that's 1-888-668-6466. Have a great day. Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.